basically everything out of their mouth is buy my stuff. It's my job to sell it to you kind of thing. Um, they're pitching right away. And yet when it comes to pitching and anybody who knows me is probably laughing their buns off right now because Martin's talking about pitching, but uh, <laughs> um, pitching is a double-edged sword because yes, uh, you need to know how to pitch well, but you also need to know when to do it. Networking is all about getting to know people. You're listening to the Client Catching Podcast, the show that uncovers how high-performing service-based business leaders are successfully navigating the ocean of complexity around growing their business. Now, as anyone with the talent and guts to start a business knows, it takes a lot more to grow one than just being great at what you do, and you can't do it alone. So this podcast will show you how other captains of their own ship, just like you, have found the right strategy to catch more clients, simplified everything, and transform their business. So if you're ready to do the same, then jump aboard and join me, Adam King, host and the captain at Think Like a Fish, and let's go fishing. Hey, how you doing? Adam here, and I wanted to quickly let you know about a brand new 15-minute video training where I show you how to get 5, 10, 15, 25 or more predictable sales appointments every month in just 30 minutes a day. And how you can do all of that without cold calling, networking, relying on referrals or any of that kind of stuff. Now, I've added that to the podcast gift page, which you can find at thinklikeafish.co.uk slash podcast gift. That's thinklikeafish.co.uk slash podcast gift. And you'll also see all of the other resources and gifts that I've created on that page as well. So hope you go and check that out and, uh, and enjoy what you find. So until you do that. Let's get back to the show. Well, hello and welcome to the Client Catching Podcast. Now, if you sell a service where you need to build relationships by meeting, talking and engaging with other human beings, I'm pretty sure you're going to be no stranger to the idea of networking, right? And I'm pretty sure that if that's the case, you've probably spent a few hours over the years at these kind of events. And for many people, these networking events, they're one of the main, if not the primary source of clients for their business. So, What happens when all of a sudden the world goes into lockdown and social distance restrictions, try and say that in a in a in a sentence, (laughs) but, you know, they they take this source of clients and revenue away. Well, a lot of people freaked out. There's no real surprise there, especially if it's their main source of, uh, of generating clients. But it's even more scary if you want you're if you're one of those people actually putting these kind of events together. However, what I've seen happen is the savvy ones, they took a step back and looked at the situation, assessed it for what it was and made a fast shift. Now, what they did is they took a look at what makes these events successful in the real world and went virtual. That's exactly what my guest today has done. And he's here to talk about the benefits of virtual networking, how it differs from face to face and to share his story about the importance of being open to making fast changes to your offer in the face of massive disruption. He's the founder of Bookable, an automated CRM system where you can manage and market your business from one spot, as well as the creator of Business Breakout Virtual Networking, which is part mastermind, part networking group, giving members an opportunity to meet other business owners, collaborate and learn from business leaders. So I'm absolutely delighted to welcome my guest today on the Client Catching Podcast, Martin Nat. Martin, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing there, Adam? I'm uh, I'm awesome, thank you. I'm very, <laughs> very good. So um, just uh, in case a couple of people pick up the accent, uh, you are in the UK, but you're not uh, native. Yes, I, I am in the UK, but I am originally, if I had a place to call home, it'd be Seattle, Washington. Awesome. And, and when did you uh, make the trip over the pond? Oh, I made the trip over the pond in 2014, uh, but I was coming to and fro quite a lot. Uh, uh, married the local lady um, from uh, Kent area, and uh, yeah, made a trip over the pond 2014. Unfortunately, that didn't work out so well. Um, <laughs> so, hey, sometimes you take big risks in life, but at the same time, I love the UK, so here I am staying every cloud silver lining and all that kind of thing so um yeah i mean that must have been quite a thing as well like not just sort of moving to a new location a completely new country culture 
I mean, we're fairly similar in a way, but is that Mm. what sparked a lot of the idea around the networking side of things? And we are going to cover a lot about the networking um, on this conversation and and a little bit on the the backstory that you have. And we just discussed, um, you know, the most interesting man in the world, Martin, has Mm. been described as. So we're going to get to his story. But talk to me about networking and the value that it's provided you in terms of growing your own business. Um interestingly enough, I was unfamiliar with quote unquote business networking or professional networking. Uh, yes, it's true. As they often say over here, that BNI is a, uh, an American construct or an American company, but honestly, I had never heard of it until I moved here. Um, networking in the States is you meet somebody while you're at lunch, you meet somebody at the party, whatnot. And then, uh, of course, they do the, the, the oft stated, hey, let's do lunch or let's do what now. Um, there's no, there, rarely is there like a formalized structure. It's almost like you need kind of permission to, to network over here, <laughs> whereas networking will happen in the Starbucks queue back in the States. So um, it's a, a little bit different, but I, ca- uh, I quite liked it. Actually, I was working for a small financial firm when I first moved here, and uh, I was like, "Oh, how do you how do you meet people?" I didn't know a soul other than uh, my wife, um, and I uh, heard about this uh, other place called Four Networking at the time, and I went down to Tumbridge Wells, checked it out, and liked it immediately. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, it's it's pretty much the mainstay, definitely here in the UK. Um, I know Four Ends trying to expand over to. Uh, Australia, I don't know how well they're doing, to be honest, um, especially since COVID and all that, as everything changed once COVID hit. Uh, yes. So. And, and, and that's something that you found, wasn't it? Because having that background of being involved with a, a larger organization like Four Networking, yep. you've got a bit of an insight and you were a, commu- a, a what do they call it, a regional leader of the, and you were Correct. running a lot of these meetings. How many were you running at one point? Um, I think I was up to 21 across Sussex and Surrey at one point. So East Sussex, West Sussex and Surrey. And that's per month. Is that right? Um, yeah. Per... Each, in that model, each meeting would meet every two weeks. Right. Um, so it was getting butts on seats a lot of time. The second meeting was over, you had to be thinking about the next meeting. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, obviously you then sort of took that knowledge and created your own version from some of the things you'd learned from that but then this situation hit didn't it indeed it did uh well the the knowledge that i gained from that a lot of times because we had about 200 member businesses between sussex and surrey um nationally it's much larger of course uh but uh between sussex and surrey around 200 at that at the highest point and uh, a lot of times people said we'd like to learn more educational type stuff, uh, so particularly around digital marketing. That one confuses a lot of people. Uh, so I would try and uh, get the corporate side to say, uh, bring in education. And they just wanted to stay uh, as just a vanilla networking company, which is fine. You know, that's their goal. Uh, and then, so what I started doing about two and a half years ago is I would have brick and mortar masterminds. Um, and we had uh, our own format, whatnot. We'd probably have about between 10 and 15 people in the room because it was meant to be more of an in-depth discussion. Uh, and that worked out well. Um, so I'd kind of do that as well as run my own business, as well as run networking uh, uh, meetings. And then once COVID hit, we're like, okay, like the rest of the world, what do we do? Um, And when it came to networking, I knew that it's not, you can't have the same format because even like as we are right now, uh, you're looking at a screen. So it it sterilizes a lot of things. Hmm. Um, It sterilizes the interactivity. So if you're at a if you're at a regular networking meeting, there's always side banter. Somebody's you know oh, pass me the ketchup or whatever the heck it is. Um, uh, so I knew you couldn't have the same time length. You had to keep people very very engaged. Um, so we created Business Breakout, which is kind of we amalgamated what we were doing in the mastermind and our own stuff and what we saw in not just Foreign but BNI and all sorts. Um, and, uh, we kind of realized 
you have to change. There has to be different segments, a little bit like a TV show, different segments every few minutes. Uh, and it makes the time go faster. People seem to feel less. Uh, people are starting to talk about Zoom exhaustion. Hmm. Um, so they, they feel a little bit, uh, quite a less bit less exhausted after a business breakup because they're engaged all the time. They're not just staring like a zombie at a screen waiting for their turn. And that can absolutely happen. And, and, you know, I've been doing business with zoom for over three, three years or so now. So it's kind of like, I'm a bit used to it, but if, if you're not, and all of a sudden you're getting thrown into this environment, this virtual environment, and you've got multiple screens flashing up in front of you. And maybe yeah. you're in meetings and you're, you know, you're expected to um, speak up and all that kind of thing. It can be a bit overwhelming. And it's like, well, who talks first? And there's people talking, you know, everyone's seen, I'm sure those memes around, uh, you know, about how um, it's like, sorry, repeat that. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. Mm-hmm. We go. And then somebody else comes in the room. Sorry, bit late. Blah, blah, blah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And it's just like the first 20 minutes of a meeting is just everyone trying to figure out their audio, right? It's, yes, you know, it can yes. be a bit like that. So unless there is that organized approach where you have a facilitator that is mm-hmm. there to move the conversation along, to move the mm-hmm. introductions, to move the learning, to move the training, then it isn't going to work. Whereas maybe, yes, you have a facilitator, but maybe you can leave people up to their own devices a little bit more and networking because clues in the name, go and mingle, mm-hmm. have conversations, but it doesn't necessarily work the same way. So what have you seen then, the, 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 the kind of the difference in terms of how people show up and the kind of things that they come expecting and then what they walk away with? Like how does that differ? Hmm. That is a very interesting question. Uh, people tend to show up, I guess they show up in a way the same way. They expect to have a good time. Um, whereas in brick and mortar networking, you need to be mm, more of a people manager. The whole team needs to be very good at people managing crowd control, stuff like that. Um, virtual networking side, that turns into less people management and more technical skill level. Uh, because the crowd's still showing up wanting to have a good time. Um, and yeah, uh, they, they don't want to have to worry about their audio or something like that. So like we, each, each of our meetings has a technical coordinator. Um, we immediately put somebody on mute when they walk into the room, we have all our breakout sessions kind of already organized ahead of time. So when each minute comes for a change in segment, it just happens. Mm. Um, and that way the crowd kind of sits there and goes, this is great. You know, they don't want to have to think about how a meeting is working or anything like that. They don't want to mm. sit there and wait for somebody to come up for an excuse because their dog's barking and they haven't <laughs> muted their mic or anything like that. Yeah. So, yeah, yes. And, and, and that is, that is something that I'm sure happens. Um, it's happened. It happens to me quite a lot. Um, you know, my, <laughs> my two young daughters, I think, uh, I can't remember if when we first had the conversation that happened, it was like, oh, sorry, my kids are about to run in. It's kind of like it, <laughs> it, it, the way things are at the moment, you're kind of expecting yeah. that in a way. And it humanizes people. I think that's what this oh, situation yeah. has done, especially when we're around the network. And it's like, we're all people, right? We've all got yeah, yeah. what we do for a living, how we are professionally, but we've got so much else behind us. And that actually, if we stop trying to bring that to that's work, true. to like it, it's it's not everything. And I mm-hmm. think it just, yeah, there's there's a lot of environments work environments that it's like no we have to be this way and we are this kind of uh, image and all that kind of thing or it's actually people will connect in a totally different way if it's just like well this is this is uh me you know i am professional i know what i'm doing but like everyone i'm a bit rough around the edges every now and again so uh, (laughs) you know that's uh that's uh, that's life isn't it so um when it comes to networking whether it's online offline i think people have a view of what it is and mm. how it works and how you should show up and, and why you would do it and all that kind of thing. But from your perspective, having done a lot of these, I want to start with some of the misconceptions around networking. What do people go in thinking, which if you could literally just grab them by the scruff of the neck and shake them and say that do not come with this kind of thought, mm. what would some of those be? I think the biggest misnomer is around the sales process, big time. Uh, A lot of people come in and 
basically everything out of their mouth is buy my stuff. It's my job to sell it to you kind of thing. Um, they're pitching right away. And yet when it comes to pitching and anybody who knows me is probably laughing their buns off right now because Martin's talking about pitching, but, uh, <laughs> um, pitching is a double edged sword because yes, uh, you need to know how to pitch well, but you also need to know when to do it. Networking is all about getting to know people. So they're not going to necessarily want to hear your pitch right away. And yet the funny thing is so many people, even the people that are coming in ready to just pitch and that's all they talk about. And they're trying to sell you no matter what words or what the topic is at the moment. Um, the ironic thing is quite often their pitch will be bad. <laughs> uh, people will quite often try to stuff too many offerings. Um, they'll try to pitch multiple things within a minute or something like that. Um, they'll say, Oh, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm prime minister and oh yeah, I bake cakes on the side. Kind of thing. <laughs> um, and quite often that leaves your audience very confused. Um, most networking uh, out there, you know, you, you have your pitching round or your introduction round or whatever you want to call it. And it's only whatever it is, depending on the networking organization, 30 seconds to a minute. And quite often people try to do multiple offerings in that. And mm. it's just like, what? <laughs> Um, yeah. I don't know what you're about. Um, so yeah, I, I guess the biggest thing is get to know people uh, and figure out when to pitch. And when that moment comes up, do it quite concisely and very well. Mm. Those are the two things people do not do. Yeah. And as you say, I, at the end of the day, they are networking events. They are generally, you know, if you're going to one of these, these are business networking events. So yeah. everybody knows that there is an underlying sort of, desire for business to yep. be done right so yep. you've kind of got that safety and you've got a bit of an expectation that at some point business may well do, be discussed but mm -hmm. at the same time there is yeah. social decorum that is also involved mm -hmm. and that requires um, an empathy about a situation being able to have that emotional intelligence to judge when or yeah. if it is appropriate to actually talk about what you do because it if is. i mean i've been to some of these events and it, 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 I, I, I remember being at an event and I was in a conversation with somebody else and this guy just walks over, doesn't actually say anything and just puts a business card into the middle of the two of us and says, yeah. please take this and give me a call. And, and we both went uh, like just literally dumbfounded. And you know when you're sort of like dumbfounded and you then almost do the thing that you've just been asked and you can see your hand go into the card and you're yep. in your mind you're going no what on earth am i doing <laughs> oh, no, but you just like take it maybe it's a british thing and you're just overly polite you sort of take it and you go uh thanks and he walks off and the two of us look at each other and go what was that yeah yeah absolutely. and we remember him i remember him to this day yeah i don't know if i've got his card person you've ever met in a networking meeting unbelievable <laughs> but it's it's things like that and as you say, there is going to be an opportunity, most likely a bit of a lightning round, right? Quick introduction, who you are, et cetera, et cetera. And you sort of say most people that do that have a bad pitch. I'm going to kind of put you on the spot and say, if you had a 30 second lightning round to introduce you, what goes into? Give us an example of what you might say and then maybe unpack it to sort of describe the best way to introduce you to a group, to introduce yourself to a group about sure. what you do without it being, you know, over yep. the top. Yep, yep, yep. Um, okay, well, I'm not, I'm not sure. So, for instance, uh, I would say something like uh, the Bookable CRM is the world's first completely automated uh, work platform to help you get your business done faster, right? Uh, so there's actually two different types of pitches, all right. So what I just gave you there is a conversational pitch. Mm -hmm. So we, we started, one of the things I started doing was I, I used to give a course called how to pitch your business with confidence. Quite often you'll hear people when they talk about pitches, they bring up the age old, what is it? AIDA, attention, interest, decision, action, blah, blah, blah. I need to, yeah. <laughs> Well, that's an old that's an old um, copywriting formula, that isn't it? And uh, yeah, you know, it, it, it works to a degree, but it works it's copywriting. Here's the here's the clue: copywriting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, 
And that's kind of the reason it's age old is because your audience is used to it. So it's not necessarily going to work anymore. Um, was it like Pavlov's dog? It doesn't exactly once, once an audience kind of gets used to any kind of impetus, it may not necessarily react the same way at all times. Uh, so what I just gave you there is what's called a conversational pitch. And then there's your proverbial elevator pitch, which is a little bit longer than that. Um, and then finally, after that, there's some people, for instance, out there will pitch in front of a committee or uh, to uh, multiple rounds of different uh, business departments and whatnot to land a contract. That takes a much longer uh, stance. So, all you really need to do is say what the product is. And when I kind of, whenever I talk about pitching, I always get people to think about movies, strangely. And I, I get people to think about movies because everybody knows about the movies, right? And in the film industry, there's a, there's a term called high concept. And high concept just basically means it does what it says on the tin. So if somebody says the term or says the title Jaws, okay, you might not know it's a shark, but you know it's going to be scary and it eats people, <laughs> whatever it is. Um, uh, so you want to make sure that whatever you say in your offering is the most punchiest, the most high concept thing that says what it is on the tin, but doesn't give everything away. So like, okay, Jaws, it's a giant Jaws thing that eats people. Okay, I'm intrigued. How does this happen? You know, then you learn it's a shark and all this jazz. They can't catch the shark and Sheriff Brody's out after it and all that jazz. Um, so your pitch needs to be the same kind of thing. Mm. Uh, so, yep. You need to you need to kind of bring up uh, the central concept of it. You either need to also build what's called permission. Seth Godin was very very big on building permission, or you kind of need to bring in. Uh, how do I say this? Um, you need to bring bring in some sort of like background. So you're either building permission or authority. You need to do it very very quickly. Um, permission is going to be based on something that your audience is already interested in. Authority is something where you, your background comes in, your basically CV. A lot of people go wrong and they focus in on that. We, we, I have a term for all the different types of incorrect pitches out there. And one of them is the CV pitch where somebody will stand up and said, I did this before the company and that, et cetera, et cetera. I used to work in corporate. Nobody cares. What's yeah. your offering? Get to mm. it. What's your offering? What do? Why am I listening to you? Mm. Um, and uh, the the faster you can get to that, and then it's usually better to talk about permission. And then you want to give them a call to action. Keep it to mm. those three things, and you'll do very well. Yeah, it's kind of like thinking, what's in it for them? Like you are talking yeah. to a crowd. So what is it that you can talk about in that quick? 30 seconds to one minute that is going to elicit uh, a, a feeling of, right, this guy or gal knows what they're doing. They're an expert mm -hmm. in what they do. And I'm kind of curious to find out a little bit more. Yeah. That's kind of what you're yeah. ending, you know, that, that's what you're trying to do with with any kind of pitch. And uh, I think it's, yeah, I, I love the uh, the reference around the movies and, and I think around the Jaws thing. And, and I think about, you know, when you say Jaws and I think the tagline was something along the lines of um, don't go into the water. Yeah. Like, and go, that's yeah. just like, boom, like everyone sort of thinks. Okay. Why am I not going into the water? <laughs> well, why not? Like, yeah, absolutely. Ah, yes, there's a massive blooming white shot. Yeah, brilliant. And that just sums it all up. That's a really good. And, and as you say, movies are f absolute masters at creating this pitch yeah. and that brings us on nicely i think to actually discuss a little bit about your your backstory because oh you've got a bit of a uh, <laughs> a, a bit of experience around this uh, this this arena haven't you and it, it's almost certainly helped you get to the point where you're talking about how to pitch things and all the rest of it so i'm not gonna I'm not going to uh, take it away um, from you. So why don't you just talk about, um, you know, that side of things and then move it through maybe to, uh, um, as I saw, being the uh, most interesting man in the world and talking about war, poker and Wall Street. So maybe there's a few things we can jump in there. 
Anything you like. Um, well, <laughs> I guess, yeah. Um, uh, so I worked on Wall Street year from twenty late twenty two thousand nine um, through to twenty fourteen when I came over here. Uh, and uh, when I was working on Wall Street, uh, a guy who was a, kind of a friend again didn't meet him through a networking meeting. I used to. <clears throat> I have a tendency to like to do a lot of side gigs. Uh, I don't really have hobbies. I'd rather do something small. I used to go to something called the Gotham City's Writers Club, um, which is just a room full of screenwriters. You have to kind of audition to get into it. Uh, we used to meet in a cafe. Uh, it was a part of a cafe that was part of a bar in the basement of a, of a pub, basically, in Manhattan. Uh, and there was a couple really heavy hitters there. There was a dude from uh, ABC. He used to write for Will and Grace. Uh, there was there was a couple uh, folks that sold scripts there, uh, and I just I always fashioned myself a bit of a writer. Let's see if I can do something with this. Um, I could hold my own, but it was just not as good as these folks. Let me tell you, well, how I got in that room, I don't know. Uh, it's all in the pitch. What can I say? Um, but after a while, uh, probably after about a year, one one of the guys was a bit like hey, could you uh, maybe go out and pitch one of my screenplays? Because he was really nervous. He was a better writer than the pitch guy. And uh, went out there, and one movie kind of turned into eight after a while. Several different people would ask me, hey, could you go pitch my script? So I'd end up going to what are called pitch fests, um, uh, which I imagine there are no pitch fests this year. <laughs> uh, you stand in a long queue, and you go around, and uh, different production companies are sitting there kind of like you'd see like a trade show here in the UK. Mm. Uh, they're set up like that. You buy a very, very expensive ticket to get about two minutes to sit with a producer and you need to be able to pitch the best dang thing possible. Sounds a little bit like an introduction round. It, <laughs> to does, it does indeed. It does indeed. And, and who knows, maybe they've, uh, they, they, they've got some of these that have gone virtual because yeah, they're, they're, these companies are still going to be needed. Who knows? And if they haven't, maybe there's something you can, uh, you know, uh, pick up as another hobby and uh, <laughs> gotta, set, set that up. But <laughs> so that obviously sort of sets you up, as you say, to um, have that way of thinking and, and way of approaching things that is is sort of yeah, it's about pitching, but it's about being concise. It's about being specific, and it's about knowing the best way to communicate. Mm-hmm sometimes complicated ideas yeah and that's that's an incredibly valuable skill to have Mm -hmm. and certainly in the the competitive world of of screenwriting and screen pitching and all that sort of stuff and it's interesting that you said actually that you had a guy that was just nervous about pitching because i think that is something that a lot of people feel about networking not just getting up and standing and doing their minute talk in front of a people because sometimes that can be the only time they'll stand up in front of a crowd in their entire yeah. life right yeah. and it probably terrifies a lot of people and they'll over rehearse and they'll be a bit stiff and, and all the rest of it and that doesn't necessarily always put across the best um image whereas actually it's just a conversation it's just have a conversation make it conversational mm-hmm. um so do you have any sort of uh, tips for people that find a standing up and doing that type of pitch a bit nerve-wracking and b nervous about the networking in general going up and introducing themselves saying hello to people what do you what do you say to people like that uh hmm. (laughs) this is not normally my area i i work with my right hand person a woman named elaine fluke is interesting i originally started a course how to pitch your business um, a few years ago didn't get any bites the second i added with confidence on the end of that yeah, it became quite popular down here in East Sussex. Um, uh, and we were, of course, going to expand it and then COVID, what have you. But it's a virtual thing now. You can mm. check it out if you want to. Um, I would say, seeing that's not exactly my area, I would say what she would say is usually the room doesn't actually know that you're nervous. Um, it's all in here. Um, don't tell people you're nervous because believe it or not, they don't know. Mm. Pause more. Pause a lot more because you're in a moment of, I guess, heightened. If you're nervous about it, you're heightened anxiety in a way. But believe it or not, time isn't 
moving as fast as you think it is. You're mm-hmm. feeling all jittery and stuff like that. And actually, if you just pause or effect, <laughs> um, they're right. They're, they're waiting for you to hear what you have to mm-hmm. say. Um, so don't be afraid that you're not wasting anybody's time or anything like that. Even mm-hmm. with a one minute pitch, almost the less you say, the more impactful it is, as long as it's concise. Mm-hmm. You know, if you could get it down to like the three most terrific words in the world, <laughs> it will be, you know, the, the, the best one minute pitch of all mm-hmm. time. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's interesting uh, because I'm sure for a lot of people that minute can feel like, an entire, you know, an absolute eternity. And if you're not used to doing it, absolutely you can feel like that. The key thing is like with so much, slow down, you know, have it again, plan, prepare, know what you're going to say. Mm -hmm. That's one thing I can imagine really helps. And, and the other thing that I found interesting is that it's like people won't necessarily notice that you are nervous yourself because there's probably a certain percentage that are waiting their turn and I'm probably sitting there going, oh, God, oh, God, I don't want to have to do this myself and all the rest of it. And unfortunately, maybe they're not listening with everything, you know, completely listening. So you've got to kind of put that into consideration and think, how can I communicate what I do to those kind of people so I can make it clear and concise and they'll go get out of their head and listen. Go, oh, OK, right. Mental note, I'm going to go and talk to them. Yeah. That's a skill. Yeah, indeed it is. <laughs> Cool, cool. So, um, go on. You've got to get on to it and talk to us a little bit about um, the whole uh, the, the war, Wall Street, and poker. That that uh, that. Before you do, I just want to sort of point out to anyone listening that what you're actually hearing is 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 an example of of not just what Martin does around the networking and and how he helps people and all the rest of it, but you're hearing in this story examples and some of his answers, examples of how networking has impacted his business. and how important it is because whether you do virtual networking whether you do in-person networking whether you just do networking in starbucks and you become very un-british or if you are in the us and and all the rest of it and that's all okay then you go and do that but ultimately it's about building relationships actually nobody is going to know who you are if you sit there and and just don't go and and introduce yourself to people and be, be a little bit strategic with it select the kind of group but you have clearly sort of grown and moved through your journey by networking and being introduced to various people and i loved your answer by the way when you said well this isn't necessarily my area but what if if my partner who does this was to say it that's that's you showing that you have a network of other people Mm -hmm. where you'd normally just say well you take over because that's your area you don't need to know everything i think that's 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 an important distinction to make when you're when you're hearing some of this so um Come on, I need to know. I need to know about the poker thing, if nothing else. Uh, the poker thing, if nothing else, that actually goes back a long way, my friend. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, in high school, it's kind of basically how I made my dosh, to be honest. Uh, it kind of came from a rough neighborhood. We'll leave it at that for now. Um, I'm not, I would say rough neighborhood might be akin to maybe Brixton or something like that. They get pretty rough in the States, um, as you've seen on TV and stuff. Um, So, yeah, kind of needed to make some dosh because I wasn't in the greatest of places back then in high school. And uh, I was pretty good at poker. Uh, I grew up in a place called Okinawa in Japan, a little island off uh, Japan in the South Pacific, North Pacific, Mid Pacific, whatever. Um, and I used to watch a bunch of servicemen play poker. They would let me sit there and kind of watch them and learn for you. It was like two, three years. Uh, and I ended up being pretty good. And then by the time I hit high school, for some reason, poker became very popular. I don't know why in the early 90s. Uh, it was a time when well, I guess a bit, um, it was a time when Indian reservations were finally allowed to build casinos. Um, before then, the only thing you had was Vegas and Atlantic City, and that's it. But uh, they won some legal battle, and they were allowed to build big casinos dotted all around the country. Everybody wanted to play poker. Um, and so finally, there was a place about 40 miles away 
became pretty dang popular. So I started <laughs> holding uh, poker games in the lunchroom of my high school, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, my high school, though, to give you an example, though, there was about 2,000 kids. My class alone had about 500. So I, I don't think there's really secondary schools that are that large in the UK. So it's kind of pretty tough to imagine, I think. Um, yeah. But uh, pretty common in the States. Uh, so a, a lunchroom would have a few hundred kids at any one time. It's easy to get lost in there amongst the gaggles of kids. And we'd have, you know, a few games going at the same time. So I, I mm. make a, a few uh, bit of dosh every week off that. Um, well, it's uh, it's outside the box thinking, isn't it? And um... <laughs> it's outside the <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't think you could get away with that anymore. <laughs> uh, probably not. Yeah, you might uh, you might get yourself in trouble. But um, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean. Uh, We've, we've all got these sort of like back histories and, and things you know i used to i think i said on the podcast too like in my youth when i was at, we used to live on the back of a golf course and we used to go and hunt for golf balls that oh, the, yeah. uh, the the golfers had whacked into the bushes and we used to go and just sell it back to them i mean talk That's about cool. hungry market right it's yeah, yeah, yeah. you know it's uh you know it, it was very profitable bought a super yes, nintendo yeah. one summer it was great um but um what what I want to sort of cover before we um, before we sort of finish is um, a couple of things back to the um, uh, back around the sort of networking side of things and and first of all when it comes to this sort of virtual game it's almost taken a, a fair amount of the barrier to entry out of it in theory because you don't need a um, a physical location you don't have to hire stuff cater all that kind of thing Joe do you think this is something that anyone could look at potentially doing. As a as a kind of micro, I, I don't know, a, a micro authority builder within a certain area, group of people, that kind of thing, or do you think it's sort of it's risky if you don't know what you're doing? Um, I, I think that, well, barriers to entry being lower, obviously, it lowers the risk as well. Um, but uh, again, we'll bring it back to the movies. Uh, believe it or not. Um, I hadn't thought about this before, but uh, digital cameras made the barriers to entry for movies to making and producing a movie a lot lower. Um, consequently, now you, well, we have Netflix and whatnot. You turn on Netflix and there's hundreds of dang movies out there. Most of them you haven't even heard of. And quite frankly, most of them are crap. <laughs> Let's be honest. Um, so, yeah, the barriers to entry are lower, but also... I think it lowers the expectation. Uh, I think it lowers the skill level. So you, what what you're willing or what you're likely to end up with being involved with going to different networking meetings is going to be pretty, you know, I don't know, mm. low bar. <laughs> Saying it in polite company. Um, so if you have any, especially when it comes to virtual stuff, if you have any kind of technical capability behind you, you're going to stand out from the crowd a lot more, a lot easier. Uh, we haven't, I, I don't know. Uh, I guess we, we haven't had too much uh, problems, but I think it's because we come from uh, the breakout team and I come from a history of networking. So we had our own audiences to bring to the table. Uh, but even so, even if you don't have your own audience to bring to the table, if you show uh, a level, a skill level that is better than most, I think you'll start building an audience faster than anybody else. Uh, like, for and instance, I'm hearing a, a lot of folks say, oh, well, we could do speed networking. And there's a couple of people starting up speed networking right now. Mm -hmm. There's no other format other than how many like one-to-ones you can stuff in in an hour kind of thing which i can imagine just ends up being everyone like throwing their one minute pitch at each other and it's yeah, a bit like pretty much. nice to meet you I, I don't really know anything about you but great exactly exactly so i don't know yeah uh the more you can up your skill level i think the more you'll stand out from the crowd to be honest yeah absolutely and the, the sort of final question I, I want to sort of ask around the networking thing is i think one of the things I've noticed when it comes to networking or, the, or the, the thing that has always baffled me is how people will make the effort to go to these things. They'll talk to people. They'll get cards. They'll do. I'm waiting. I have a feeling that you're going to talk about follow-up. Go. <laughs> you took the words right out of my mouth because that is 
exactly the thing that I, I'm just like, wow, like, why would somebody invest all of that time away from the business, you know, whatever your hourly rate is, times that by the amount of time that you spend that whatever, you know, that might be. And then, I mean, I've done it when I've, I've said like, okay, that sounds really interesting. Like, I'm looking for something like that here. Like, give me a call. Yeah. Silence. To the point where someone's, I, I've had to chase them up and go, uh, actually, yeah. I, I really, really want this thing. Mm-hmm. Can we have a, can we have a chat? Oh yeah. Oh, completely forgot. Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. How do you help people think about the follow-up and do you sort of advise a process or do you give any advice around how to do this well? Hmm. Uh, well, friends and colleagues, first off, he and I did not talk about that ahead of time, but it is a, the follow-up is a big problem when it comes to networking as a whole. Uh, I think it comes from a place of fear, to be frank. Uh, there is something that the person who refuses or forgets to follow up with others. There's something in there that they're fearful of. They're either fearful because they have, uh, as, as my colleague Elaine Fluck would say, they either have an idea of imposter syndrome that they're not ready to deal with, um, or they, have, uh, they don't have enough assets in their business arsenal that they can offer a client. Uh, or they don't have the technical skill level um, that they're touting that they do. Um, that happens a lot. Um, or the experience or something like that. So in so it's either reality-based and they don't have um, whatever capability they say they do. Or it's all in their head and they do have the capability, but they're fearful of <laughs> and don't have the confidence. Um, which, uh, again, uh, the in one of the biggest misnomers about confidence, again, this is not my area folks. Um, but, uh, one of the biggest, uh, misnomers about confidence is I confidence is this big thing in the UK, um, uh, about, Oh, I don't have confidence or kids need to learn confidence. Um, take it from a dude that used to, I served six years in the U S army. Um, you don't get confidence, just by doing there's confidence doesn't come um, until you have the courage to do something and nothing in life is courageous unless you're fragile and there's risk when you are about to do that thing because otherwise it wouldn't be courageous Um, so stand up do the thing and then you'll as my friend always says you'll get the confidence after that yeah Um, couldn't agree so, more it's 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 it is interesting you know people say oh i just need more confidence this that and the other or, or whatever you want or i just need to be happy or blah blah, blah whatever it is it's like you're God. chasing you're chasing the end goal that just you know it's it's the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow mm. everything is a process like you're yes. never arriving everyone thinks when i have confidence i'll be happy when or i'll be <laughs> confident when it's like no it, right. it just life doesn't work like that business doesn't right. work like that nothing works like that it's no. like you may well have confident children in an in a certain setting but take them yeah. outside of that they're not going to have it but it's about understanding that you need to have that ability to kind of approach any situation yeah. with courage as you say because mm-hmm. if you have the courage to just show up first of all sometimes that takes courage but then the courage to just push yourself a little bit further than you might otherwise Mm -hmm. have done big Mm -hmm. difference and so uh the person who gained that courage in the first place guarantee you they were bricking it just like you the first time they are doing it Um, there's a um there's there's a great book and um um, is it cotler it's called the rise of superman it's all about extreme sports Mm -hmm. athletes and how they progress their sports so much faster over the last number of years than say i think they use the example of diving right Mm. in 1930 something like people could do x number of rotations and it's taken 70 years to add in another half or three quarters or something like that Mm. but the extreme sports guys they are able to go to a, a you know levels that you watch on tv and you see people jumping off of ridiculous stuff and you're like how on earth can they do that to them that's not a big thing because they've just got the ability to kind of get a little bit better and then go a little bit Mm -hmm. it's kind of normal to them but it's Mm -hmm. it's understanding that they've gotten into a state of of flow where they the one thing they do is show up with courage to just push that little bit further they're not trying to go big from the off 
And that's, I think, what a lot of us end up doing. And we've kind of got off topic here and everything, but I, I kind yeah. of massively into all this sort of stuff. So, are you now? <laughs> yeah, you can. Can you tell? Can you tell? Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, it, it's kind of like people want to do everything, do it right now, get the results, all the rest of it. Yeah. And it's like if you just focused on incremental yeah. improvements consistently over time. Mm-hmm. where are you going to be it's like that if you put one grain of rice on the, on a square of a chessboard and then doubled it every single time how many would you yeah. be you know it, it's it's you know if you don't know google it but yeah yeah it's a lot more than you think it's a lot so uh yeah mm-hmm. i think you know coming back to the follow-up idea it's interesting that you sort of say about the fear thing um i think some people just yeah they go back they get busy they forget and all the rest of it and maybe they don't have an actual process I mean, or a system yeah I think one of the biggest misnomers also about business is business itself is an organized process. I mean, there are some people absolutely that just aren't organized when it comes to a follow-up process. I mean, kind of, okay. When to pitch something, ladies and gentlemen, um, one of the things that we are doing is we're building a, a automated CRM uh, system. Uh, one of the first in the world, we're going to bring in AI into it later on this year, if not next year. Um, but that helps folks with the organization of their business. But yeah, I mean, if they're not following you up because they're fearful or they're unskilled and they don't want you to find out, then it, it could be a little bit mm-hmm. of organizational issues as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that sort of brings it on nicely to the, um, you know, it sums it up because you, you are now creating a CRM using AI that is based. Yeah, yeah you'll put the AI side in it, but it's so based a lot on your experience and how you've yeah, seen yeah. business working. And as you say, businesses, the people that run them, the people that work in them, they're all human beings. They've all got their yeah. own crap going on. They've all, you know, we're all fallible and all the rest of it. So it's kind of yeah. like, how can I put that into a system that is workable, that actually has a bit of, you know, artificial intelligence supreme intelligence who knows um behind it that actually sort of takes out the human error because that's what that's what i think automation and 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 artificial intelligence is there to do it's just take out the forgetfulness and i systemize massive parts of my business you know you'd have seen it coming onto the podcast it's very much kind of like otherwise i'd forget and i'd look rude (laughs) so (laughs) it's not like it's a bad thing to automate stuff it's like i would forget and it's not because i'm rude Mm. it's just because i'm adhd and i've got so many things in my head and i've had to systemize in this way right so mm. i think that having an, a, a crm that has ai is going to be a massive benefit to a lot of people so yeah. why don't you tell people where they can go to, to sort of check that out if it's you know have a, have a look at what you've got going on it's bookable.com yeah. Uh, no, bookable.online. I don't have dot .com .online. because it's for sale for 50,000 pounds. and <laughs> That's never going to ah, happen. Uh, well, maybe one day. But um, nice. yeah, bookable.online. Um, and you can check out all our stuff. We have a few re- free resources there. Um, if you need to build a pitch, uh, just go to resources and there's a little uh, PDF you can download how to build a pitch. Um, if you want to learn more about the CRM, uh, we, will be, we will be launching, I can say now safely, late July. Um, but you can sign up on the list on the homepage um, and you can learn more about breakout there as well. Cool. Sure. And, and the breakouts there, that's the virtual networking and um, you, you cover specific areas, but is it open to others to, from outside to join? Or? It is open to anybody to join. And one of the things we try to encourage, a lot of people are, are a little bit shy to submit a business dilemma the first time they come. Uh, but we try to keep business dilemmas anonymous so people don't feel torn apart by the room or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, when you sign up for a business breakout session, it's it's non-membership based. You don't, There's no other fees. It's just nine pounds to dip into a meeting whenever you want to, when and as you like. Um, but uh, you're given the opportunity to submit a business dilemma then and there. Um, mm. and, uh, we usually have guest speakers I'm trying to, ladies and gentlemen, I'm trying to get Mr. Adam King to come on as a speaker, <laughs> uh, to one of the business breakout sessions, but, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So people are enjoying that. Excellent. It's quite a different format. Good stuff. And, um, yeah, I am, uh, I, I, I am going to be doing a talk. Um, <laughs> so it is, uh, yeah, I'm going to be interested to see how it works. And, uh, mm. if there's anyone out there that's kind of like thinking, okay, well, how, does this virtual networking thing work come along give it a go you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain and if you've got a problem 
or you've got yeah. something going on. You just like you want to pull your hair out. You don't know how to fix it. Well, mm. here's a great opportunity. Just come along, submit it and let somebody that is uh, knowledgeable about that specific subject actually help you solve it. And ultimately, that is the value of a network. Yes. One of the one of the biggest uh, bits of feedback we usually get is uh, that people who haven't submitted a business dilemma will be working on somebody else's business dilemma in the group. So we split it up in like groups of four or five. Uh, and quite often the business dilemma that they didn't even uh, submit resonates with them anyways. <laughs> um, so you end up making quite a lot of contacts through it because mm. uh, in one section of the meeting, you're working and collaborating with folks on somebody else's problem. So they get a chance to know you there. And then mm. in another section of the meeting, you're just having a straight one-to-one with somebody and they get to know you there. So it's uh, different, different ways of uh, doing the same thing. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I think depending on when this goes out, I think, I think uh, the 9th of July was, uh, I'm dating the podcast now, I think it's on the 9th of July we'll do a, a bit of a, a, a talk. But uh, I will be challenged, as you can probably tell, to keep it to uh, 8 to 10 minutes because uh, I do talk a lot and waffle. But hey, that's a challenge. That's, uh, that's my courage, courageousness pushing on. So, uh, yeah, see if I can keep it, uh, keep it short. My wife always tells me I need an editor when I talk about this stuff. So, uh, oh boy. yeah. <laughs> I will uh, I, I will look forward to that and uh, you have full permission to tell me to stop if I uh, if I get on and uh, <laughs> don't worry yeah, the host going. will <laughs> awesome awesome well um, Martin I'm looking forward to that um, depending if uh, yeah if this is going out before then or if you're catching it you know come along listen in and even if not just check it out like got nothing to lose and, and and you can learn an awful lot not just from uh you know the the, uh, the networking itself but how it's put on um how it's arranged and and just get the uh the, the benefit from somebody's experience of years and years and years of of gradually building up their expertise in in an area like this so uh martin mm-hmm. thank you ever so much for joining me today and um you're welcome thanks for having me happy fishing Thanks so much for tuning into the show today. I know there are a lot of podcasts you could be listening to, but you've chosen this one and I'm truly grateful for that. And if you've enjoyed this week's episode, I'd love if you could just take a few quick minutes to share your thoughts and leave an honest rating review for the show over on iTunes. It's not only important for helping others discover the show, but I also read each and every submission personally and they really do mean the world to me. So thanks very much in advance and happy fishing.